try that again. Are you awake now? All right. I was going to say, we had a technical difficulty. We still good. I guess we still do <laughs> this morning. So we had to use the monitors. And Well, anyways, uh, it's all about Jesus. Amen. <laughs> all right. And every once in a while, I guess the demons come in and try to disturb us. But <laughs> no, we, uh, we come to worship the Lord. Amen. And, you know, even if we didn't have, uh, I guess, the sound system or whatever, we would, we would still worship. Amen. Yes. All right. If you were with us last Sunday, uh, you know that we talked a little bit about, you, you know, we, I really didn't get into the message much because the, um, uh, the, the whole, everything that you needed to know about what we've been talking about, because for the first few Sundays we've been talking about the book of Colossians and how Colossians is, uh, is, is the, uh, the, the book that Paul is really talking on and, and really using to get across this false teaching that's within the church. Now, he has received word that this teaching has been infiltrating the church. And so in the book of Colossians, and he does this in other books as well, but Colossians basically does it, I mean, probably as on point as you can get. And he starts off by introducing himself, uh, of course, always saying, you know, Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. We talked about God's will, you know, what God's will is. We talked about uh, the faithful brothers, and we talked about how, uh, as a matter of fact, in verse 1, Paul uses two different words, adalfoi, which means our brother or our male brother. And then he uses adalfois, which is brothers, and that includes everyone. And we went into a a nice, uh, you know, description of how the roles in in the Bible talks about, and, and Paul is never demeaning of anybody, any person. Everyone's equal on the level playing field, yet everyone has different roles. And we talked at length at that. And, and so we, we went and, and this, you know, it kind of, we'll still come back to that later, especially this Thanksgiving weekend. Well, Paul says we always give thanks. And God, Paul has always given thanks, you know, because of what he's heard. He's heard that these people are committed to Christ. And he says, I pray for you. Every time I think about you guys, I pray for you. And we talked about prayer, how we, we pray for one another. And we should lift each other up. And, and we should, especially if we're going through a lot of things. But Paul was focusing more on the believers that were growing in Christ. And he was focusing more on those that were hearing the word of God and growing. Because he says, you know, I'm praying for you. Because you guys are going to be attacked. I mean, it's just a given. You've came out of that lifestyle, and now you're in this walking for Christ lifestyle. You're forsaking the world. You are crucifying yourself. You are picking up your cross and following Jesus Christ daily. You are walking the walk according to how we walk. I've asked you to follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so Paul is saying, when you start to do that, the world is going to come up against you. And so Paul says, I'm praying for you. And yes, we should pray for one another, especially during times of need and whenever there's something going on in your life. We should lift each other up in prayer. But I want you, beloved, to pray for one another, especially if you see people coming in and starting to get plugged in and, and you start to realize, you know, it, it, it's, life is hard as it is. Life is difficult as it is. But then to all of a sudden, and for some of you, you've been doing this for some time, but, but it seems like now all of a sudden you're being challenged to have a different life a different way of looking at things, a a different way of going along just because the status quo. And we are talking about kingdom principles, not right or left, Republicans, Democrats, nation, whatever. We Not socially, but we're talking about kingdom principles that goes contrary to what everything else is out there saying. And some of you are taking that challenge and says, you know, I I want to be a a, a disciple that honors Jesus Christ, and I want to continue to strive in that manner. And when you do that, and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up against you. This whole system is against Christianity. And it has been from the very beginning. So Paul says, I'm praying for you guys because I know the struggles that you're going to be going through. I know what it is that you're going to be experiencing. And so he says, you know, I, I want you to know this. And then in verse 9, he says, and from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And, and he talks about how he wants us to be strengthened. And so this last week, we started in verse 15. But, but we start at the very core of what Paul is dealing with in the church of Coloss. Now, Coloss is dealing with what we called Gnosticism. It hadn't been really solidified as Gnosticism as of yet. And if you were here last week, you probably got a handout. If you weren't here last week, ask Ken. I'm sure he probably has a couple more Gnostic philosophy and then Jewish tradition. There are two things that, and you know, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it this morning, but there are two things that the church was being infiltrated with, this idea of, of Gnosticism. 
Gnostic philosophy is, you know, knowing. The more you know, the closer you get to God, and everybody wants to get closer to God. So there was this revelation or this wisdom or this teaching that if you received it, you got closer to God. And it didn't matter, and they had this dualistic thinking of, the, of life. Uh, what I mean by dualistic is it's either, it's either good or bad, and, and everything spiritual is good, and everything that has matter, everything you can see and touch, everything, that, everything else around here is all bad, is evil. And so the spirit is what people focused on, and because they focused on their spirit and the body was considered to be matter, it didn't matter what you did to the body. And so they drank and they slept around and all kinds of other things because it's all going to be burnt up anyways. But what really was important to them was the intellectual, the spiritual, the philosophical. And so they, they argued and they, they would philosophize and they would talk about you know, God. And, and, and because these, these emanations that were coming from God, these pulses of, of wisdom or spirits in a sense that God sent down, those were the ones that you had to get to know. And so there was this worship of angels, there was this worship of knowledge, this worship of getting to know God in that sense. Revelations, new revelations, dreams and visions and all kinds of things that had infiltrated the church. And Paul says, no. And we'll talk about angels much later. We talked a little bit about that this last week. And so there's all this philosophy that's coming into the church. And Paul says, no, it, it is by grace that you're saved through faith in Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that's it. You don't have to add anything more to that. And so the first thing that Paul uh, is dealing with is Jesus Christ. Because according to Gnostic belief, that God is holy, He's pure, He's righteous, and, and, and He's good. He's a good spirit. And a good God could not create this evil planet. This planet, as good as it is, is fallen apart. We know this. This planet, as we know, is going to be burnt up one day. This planet, everything in it is just going to be gone. And there are a lot of evil things that happen. If you look at history and how the church has gone against another group and how people have gone against other people, and it's been a constant war. You know, in all recorded history, uh, one, uh, one person said that in all recorded history in the last 8,000 years, that there's probably been about 200 years of continual peace at all. But constantly there's war against uh, generations and war against other nationalities and all this genocide that's going on in, in, the, in the past, trying to get rid of this people group and trying to conquer this people. And, and so it's always been this constant evil battle, sickness and all kinds of things, hunger and famines and things that have just been going on throughout the, the, the history, the generations of our planet and our people. And when you look at that, people say, you know, why does God allow all these things? Well, because this is an evil planet. This is a broken planet. This is not heaven. This is not heaven. I mean, this is earth, and it's broken. And so for the Gnostics, they believe, well, God could not have created this. It might have been one of those pulses, one of those emanations, one of those spirits that he sent down that became bad, and he created these things. And that was their thinking. These emanations, some of them were good, some of them were bad. The bad emanations were demons. The good emanations were angels. And out of this, these emanations came Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ just was one of those spirits, and, and that, that he came, and, and everything he did was, was perfect. And everywhere he walked, it was said that he wouldn't leave any footprint. Print, as a matter of fact. So he kind of glided through, uh, through the world. And, and so there was this glow about him. And that's how they described Jesus Christ. And so this was coming into the church. And so what Paul does here in verse 15, he, he nails it right off the top. He says, okay, let me share with you. Pull out your outlines. Let me share with you one thing Paul says. He says, Jesus Christ is God. Number one, Jesus Christ is God. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the image, Paul says, of the invisible God, the firstborn, the prototokos of all creation. We have to unpack this a little bit, okay? Because when we look at this, we see that He is the image. The image, the word that we used last week and the word that the Greeks use is icon. Icon is the same word that we use, icon. Uh, actually, they call it icon, but icon is the word that we use to represent a, an image. And when you think of the image of God, you think that man is built and designed in the image of God. The only thing is that we're not holy, we're not everlasting, we're not omniscient, we, we don't know everything, we're not uh, all-powerful, we can't be all, at all places at all times like God can. We can't create, but we can do things. We are in God's image in a sense where we have a will, we have a, a, a thought process, we are, uh, we, we are in, in a sense, in that sense, the image of God. And when Paul says that Jesus Christ is the exact image of God, He is the image of the invisible God, you want to get to know God, then you want to get to know Jesus Christ. 
when I'm asked about reading the Bible, where do I start? Well, you're a Christian, and you are growing to be a Christian, and so you want to be Christ-like. And if you want to be Christ-like, you need to know what Christ was like. And so you start, I always recommend, in the book of John. Read the book of John all the way through. Then go and read the rest of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then read John again. Get to know who Jesus is, because when you've seen me, Jesus says, you have seen the Father. They, Thomas has said, you know, show us the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I and the Father are one. He is the one, he is the image, the icon, the, in, the image of the invisible God. God is invisible, he's spirit, and he came down in the form of Jesus Christ. For the Gnostics, they believe that he was just one of those impulses, those emanations that came down. And, and so therefore, he was not tainted by, uh, he didn't sleep, he didn't eat, he didn't sweat, because he was just the spirit that we were able to see in bodily form. He had this aura around him, this halo is where that halo comes from, this, this glow about him. The Bible says he was just an ordinary man. As a matter of fact, there was nothing about him that really drew attention to him. He was just ordinary. And he, you know, Christmas is coming. And, and uh, you think about the Christ child born to a woman. And, and I, I, you know, I'm so close to my grandson. You know, and I look at my grandson and I go, and I go like this. He's, really? Je- this, Jesus was like this? Come on. You know, it's, but yes, he was. He was like a... A child, a baby, he cried, he they had to change his diapers, put it that way. He, you know, he, he burped, he ate, he fell, and he stubbed his toe, and, and, you know, he did all those things. Those are the things, everything you see a toddler, a child do, Jesus did. As a matter of fact, nobody even recognized who he was until he was 30, that when he committed his life to the, to the ministry, when the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and God sent him out. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. There's, there's a question. There's, there's a book. There's a song, Mary, Did You Know? And there's a book written by the same author in uh, Max Lucado, I think. And did you know that he was going to, you know, save the nation? Did you know? I'm sure Mary knew, but to what extent? I don't know. I'm sure she knew that her child was destined for greatness. I mean, it was a miraculous birth, you know? But he was just a child. And he came into this world in such a way. And when you think about the baby, you know, there's this child that, that Mary cared for and fed and grew, and, and, he became, and he was God. As a matter of fact, some teachings is, uh, is what they call theotokos, uh, the theotokos of Mary, or God, Mary being the mother of God. And they venerate her, they worship her, and they exalt her as God's mother. And if you want to get to God, then you need to go through Jesus Christ. But if you want to get to Jesus, you need to go through the mom. You, you appeal to the mom. You, you cry to the mom. You pray to the mom. And, and some people even have pictures and statues of the mom to be able to at least to, to plead on, on their behalf to, to connect with Jesus so that he can connect with God. And, and, and there's this veneration, this worship, and, and they call her, you know, the mother of God. And, uh, and, and so it's... it's Really, just it's not biblical because right here, Paul is telling us he is the image of the invisible God. And we'll come to find out exactly how he came down. As a matter of fact, one of the things that he came to do was, was uh, in Romans 8.29, if you look at this with me, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he had this knowledge. Not only did he have this foreknowledge, but he also had this knowledge, this knowing, this intimate knowing. See, in the Bible, when you talk about Adam knew his wife and then she begot Seth. Abraham knew Sarah, and they begot Isaac. When you come to know your spouse, it's not just the knowledge. Oh, yeah, I know her. I knew her from high school. It's this intimate knowledge. And God, Paul is saying here that for those whom God foreknew had this intimate relationship with from the foundations of the world, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Why were you chosen? Why were you predestined? Why were you picked? To be conformed to the image of of his son, Jesus Christ, to the likeness. And you follow Paul's example because Paul followed the example of Christ and we are to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. And we spent a lot of time on this walk and this talk. You say, then walk it, walk the talk. And as we we get closer, and this is again, Paul is saying, this is why I'm praying for you because you're trying to walk this talk that you say you proclaim and it's, I know it's hard. Yes, look at me, I'm in prison, he was in prison. I'm in prison for the very same thing. And I could care less because for me to die is gain, but to live is Christ. And I'm here just to share with you what I can until the Lord takes me home. And so our, 
our goal and our, the purpose of your salvation is to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see in Philippians chapter 2, this is in your outlines, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus Christ, the man, God, man and God at the same time, not mixed, not sometimes God, sometimes man, man, God. And we, again, covered that quite a bit in the Trinity. You know, this is a, a doctrine that was hammered out over 300 years. One day they didn't just get up and say, okay, we'll just call it the Trinity. No, they read, they argued, they prayed, they looked at, and they said, he's a triune God. You know, that's just all there is to it. He's three in one. And when Paul is saying he, oh, talking about Jesus Christ, who in the form of God, in the likeness of God, and in the exact replica of God or, or God himself, he did not count equality with God. He was here, he was God, but he says, you know what? I got to work and I got to operate as a man. And he, and he humbled himself, the Bible goes on to say, humbled himself even to the point of death. This is why it was difficult for the Jewish and the Gentiles to receive this message. What? Your God died? He died? What do you mean he died? You know, your God became man? Gods don't become man, the Greeks would say. Gods don't become men. Men become gods. And the gods bless these men and they make them gods. But for a god to become a man, it's just, that's why it was foolishness to them. And in John 14, we know that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And, and it is written throughout Scripture from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, if you look at the book of Genesis, what Moses writes down during creation, and after all creation was done, Elohim, which by the way, is plural for God. Not gods, but God, Elohim. He, he is, it's plural. It, and it's, it's interesting because in the Shema, when the Jewish people say, uh, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ahad. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, Eloheinu. You know, it's it's a plural sounding sound. It? Okay, but but He's one, and so they didn't grasp that either. And in the book of Genesis, God says, "Let us, let us make man in our image." And so theologians have argued with that. That's got to be they're talking about Jesus Christ. He manifested himself in, in, in various forms, either to, um, usually when it's an angel, it'll say angels, but the Son of Man comes down, and, and they thought it, he was an angel. That's when Jesus Christ showed up. He showed up with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, when they were through three people into the furnace, and there was a fourth one in there with him. So, so Jesus has always been, as a matter of fact, in John chapter 1, Paul starts off, excuse me, John starts off talking to the Hebrews, and he says, in the beginning. Now, if, once again, if you know your Bible, Genesis starts off in the beginning. Not the big inning, not baseball. Beginning. In the beginning. And the Jewish people look at this. Hey, this sounds pretty familiar. And so they followed it. And it says, and, and John says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word of God created the whole universe. God spoke it, and boom, it grew. I mean, He said it, and boom, it was done. And, and, and the Word was with God. Well, wait a minute. I thought the Word was God or that God's Word was the one that created it. And then he goes on to say, and the Word was God. That's what he said. And the Word was God. And so now you're looking at this as two different things, two different people. You'll find in some Bibles uh, that, that they'll, have, they'll distort this because of the subject matter. And without getting too technical, the Greek is a little bit different than the English. Usually when you're talking about a subject, you put these words in different order. And in Spanish, it's the same thing. Sometimes when you want to say something in, in Spanish, you say it in English, but in Spanish, it's, it's backwards. And so when, you, when you're looking at the word in, in, in Greek and you see this, what these people have done is, says, well, it says right there that the word was God. But it's not really saying that this word, Jesus Christ, and it's not talking about that, logos. But so, so what it really says is that the word... Uh, was a God. Little word, little W, and little G. The word was a God. And so they minimize everything. And these people will tell you, our Bible is just like yours. Same exact thing. The only difference is, and I've had an argument with some of these people that come knocking on my door. The only difference is that in our Bible, where it says God, ours says Jehovah. That's it. Oh, really? Well, let me see your Bible. Okay, how, come, how about right here in John chapter 1, verse 1? 
you know, the, the, my Bible says that the Word was God. And your Bible says here that Word was a little God. So what about, the, oh, well, you know, that's all. Well, no, no, wait a minute. You've already lied to me <laughs> and said that your Bible is exactly like mine except for Jehovah. And I'm showing you right there one of the huge, this verse is the foundational verse for Christianity. When you think about who God is, and Paul is making this argument, and we're going to see this a little bit more. And not only was he God, if you look at verse 14 in John chapter 1, he says, and the word became flesh. Incarnation, encarnacion. The incarnation happened and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son the, uh, from the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and right here, once again, you go back to their Bible. Well, right here, it's, it's the same wording. And the word became flesh. It's the same wording. How come you guys don't make it, and the word became a, God, a, a word, or a flesh, or a God? You know, it's, why do you pick it here, but not here? It's the same thing. It's saying the same thing. But up here, you guys are changing the words or the sentence, but not down here. Anyways, as a matter of fact, people say Jesus never claimed to be God. He never said that I am God the Father. Well, why do you think they arrested him? Why do you think they wanted to kill him? Why do you think they crucified him? In John chapter 8, verses 58 and 59, it says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, and he says what? I am. Ego imai. I am. That word, I am, ego imai, is the same word that God used to tell Moses when he says, who do I say he sent me? Tell them that I am sent you. I am who I am. I am who I am. Not, not, not I was, I will be, but I am sent you. So Jesus basically said, before Abraham, before Abraham was, and they started arguing with him. He says, you can't even be 30 years old. And you say you were with Abraham. And even before Abraham, we can't believe you. And you can't be calling yourself God. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They wanted to kill him. You look at John 10, 33. The Jews answered him, it is, not for, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. They got it. They understood it. And they just couldn't comprehend it. And his disciples are, are sitting back saying, okay, okay, what's going on here? All right. You know, he, he's calling himself God. We see him. I mean, his brothers didn't believe him at first. Yeah, they, that's not those kid we grew up with. You know, we, I used to beat him up. No, I don't know. I don't know what happened in that, in that whole dynamics of the household. But, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that people knew him and they started to see Jesus Christ perform these miracles. As I mentioned last week, the three that they were looking for for Messiah. And then everything else that he was doing. And the Pharisees just could not grasp it. And he's telling them, you know, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus Christ is God. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul tells us, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. And if you don't want to believe, then God will blind your mind. All right, I'll give you what you want. If you don't want to believe, He'll blind your mind. He'll close your eyes. He'll cover your heart with, with a stone of heart. He did so with Pharaoh. I hardened his heart. Why? Because his heart was already hardened. The more of, the more of what you want, God will give you. This is why we desire God. This is why we want to know God. You want to know God? He'll let, you, he'll let himself be known. You don't want to know about God. You don't want to know about salvation. You don't want to know about your sin. Then God's going to blind your eyes. And you'll be just like everybody else. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The gospel, the good news. Because the good news combats the bad news. The bad news is what you're living in. you got to hear the good news. But you know what? Since you don't want to hear the good news, he's going to blind your eyes. I don't want it. Give it to somebody else. All right. Guess what? You're not going to see it. Who is the image of God? Number two, Jesus Christ is creator. This is really cool. We know that God created the heavens and the earth. And, you know, there's, there's argument as far as the seven literal days or is one day like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like one day to the Lord. So there's arguments for that. God created the heavens and the earth and he created them, created them through Jesus Christ. 16 and 17 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Got that? Check this out. These people, 
we're saying that God sent out these emanations, and all these emanations, good and bad, were created. And out of these emanations that came down, one of them was Jesus. And Jesus was perfect, and he floated all over the world, and then he went up to heaven. And so they believe that he was, he was a created being. Paul says, no, no, all things were created by him. Anything in heaven, what's in heaven? Well, of course, he didn't create God, you know, because he is God. He didn't, create, he didn't create God, but he created everything in heaven. You know, whether the stars, the moon, everything, it, 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 you know, everything on earth, whether the plants, the vegetation, the, the, the animal life, visible and invisible. And Paul goes on and he says, you know what, I'm going to clarify this, this invisible thing that Jesus Christ, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Here, what Paul has done is he's categorized the demonic world. There are, there are, there's a hierarchy of these demons. You know, their thrones, their dominions, their rulers, their authorities. So Satan has this lineup of all these demonic forces. Jesus Christ created every one of them. Now, you'll stop and pause and think, but why? Why would he do that? Well, his plan is a lot bigger than my plan. His mind is a lot bigger than my mind. You know, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. You know, and, and all this demonic influence that's going around, because he created them, he also controls them. Because they are his to do as he desires for whatever purpose that he's created. And we'll, we'll get into demonology later as we start talking a little bit more about the angels that these people were worshiping. Angelology and demonology, we'll talk about that some more. But right now, we just got to recognize Paul hits it off on, from the very beginning. He's not an emanation. He's not this spirit that just came down. He wasn't, you know, he's not a created being. He, it is God. There's another group of people that believe that God and Satan are brothers, that this, these emanations, they came down together, and one of them went bad, and the other one went good. And so, you know, you've probably seen these guys. You know, there's a red guy on your shoulder, and there's, a, there's an angel guy on your shoulder. There's a guy with horns and a guy with a halo. You've seen this, right, in cartoons? Or is it just me? I watch too many cartoons? Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> and, and they're arguing, no, no, you got to do this. No, no, you got to. And, and so there's this dualistic fight going on in the heavens. And every once in a while, the, the, the red demon, the devil would win. Every once in a while, of course, Jesus Christ would win. And, and here they are fighting. No. Demons, Satan, have no power except for what you give them. When you submit to their threats, their whatever it is, when they start to come at you and, and you get scared, you, you, you're, you've already lost. Because God, Jesus Christ, created them, they are under his control. When Job was the most righteous man on the planet, you know, he was righteous. And, and, and he was good. He had, he had fields and he had corn, he had oxen, he had horses, he had camels, he had a huge family. Children, grandchildren, and every day that his kids would go out and party, Job would get out there and pray, Father, please, just any sin that they might have committed, I, I want to I cover it with this offering. And he was constantly praying to God. And one day there was the council that met with all these authorities and demons, and, and Satan shows up. And he shows up, and God says, well, what have you been doing? Oh, I've been going back and forth through the world. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? So, oh, yeah, I've seen him, yeah. yeah and, and I know that the only reason he's that wealthy and good and happy is because, well, you give him everything because everything comes from you. He says, but I bet if you took everything away from him, he'd, he'd start to curse you. And God says, well, go ahead. Do what you will to him. However, do not harm his life and do not harm his wife. Do not kill him and do not take out his wife. And one by one, Satan went and attacked everything that Job had. Long story short, everything that happens on this planet is father filtered. Demons Satan have to have permission to attack you. And when you submit to their threats, to their scare tactics, you give them permission. And when you submit to God and you focus on God, you know, Lord, there is no weapon on this planet that's going to prosper. Didn't mean it wasn't going to harm you. Didn't mean it wasn't going to come against you, but it's not going to prosper Anything that's formed on this planet is not going to prosper. It'll, it'll hurt you. It'll knock you down. But God, it has to be father-filtered. Everything, because God created it all. And in your case, and in my case, whatever happens, all these rulers and th thrones, and look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed, the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Through Jesus Christ, everything's created. 
See, not only is he God, but he's also creator. Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Here's a verse, if you were just to remember where it's at, in Romans chapter 1. Because the wrath of God is being displayed, Paul says to the people in Rome, and the people that this wrath is being displayed to are without excuse. There is no excuse. Because his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, you just look up into the sky and you recognize the immense... Now you know that these stars are huge balls of fire that are bigger than our earth. And you just know that they're millions of miles away and you just know that they have this power that can just emanate this, this, this sun and this energy. And you just know that if we even got close to it, it would, it would burn us. If we get a little bit further away, it would, we would freeze. And then there's billions of these all over the, the universe. Now that, you know, back then they couldn't actually see all that, but they knew God's power just by looking at the universe, looking at the trees, looking at the waters, look, earthquakes, hurricanes, tidal waves, all these things that took place. They recognize that God's power, and God says, you see these things. You see His eternal power, His divine nature, how good and how great and how, uh, how beneficial it is to us. And it's been clearly perceived, Paul says, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, they are without excuse. But what about the people in Africa? They're without excuse. What about those that you know, live in far out land? They're without excuse. Because the heavens declare His glory. And everyone knows that there's a God. Even the atheist knows that there's a God. I mean, in order to say there is no God, you got to claim, well, something, there is a God. Somebody is believing in a God. You got, in order to say there's nothing there, you got to say there was something there in order for you to not to say that there's nothing there. Does that make any sense? Okay, that's, it's, it's worked out a little bit more than that, but basically that's how it's worked out. For his invisible qualities, in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 3, we've already read that, that he is that he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made. So he, he created all things. That which was in the form from the beginning, even in 1 John he says that. 1 John 1, 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, talking about Jesus Christ. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. In other words, he became, he came to the Father, he was with the Father at the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, made himself flesh, and we touched him, and we fellowshiped with him, and we ate with him, and he encouraged us. He, we saw him sleep, and he cried, and we saw, I mean, this was God in our midst. And they've seen it and they proclaim it to us that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the firstborn. Not that He was firstborn of emanations. You know, He wasn't made after, you know, during Christmas. He wasn't a Christmas present that God gave to Mary. It wasn't created at that time. And so people will take this verse and says, look, He, he was the firstborn. Yeah, I mean, He was born first. And so therefore, I mean, he was created. And because he was created, then therefore, you know, he can't be God because God created him just like he created Satan and everything else. But when you think about firstborn in Greek, protokos, protokos is firstborn, yes, but it's first in uh, significance, not in chrono chronology. He's, there, are, there are a lot of, lot of uh, stories in the Old Testament. Esau and Jacob is a prime example. Though Esau was born first, it was Jacob that became the firstborn. It was him that received the blessing. Israel was God's firstborn. They weren't the only nation that was in the world, but there were other nations that were born first. But Israel became the firstborn. Significance. And in, in, the, old, in the New Testament, in Revelation, uh, John says this about Jesus Christ, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Not that he's first, the first first one, but he is the first one to be uh, resurrected. He is the first one as in significance, not the first person ever created. 
And he is the firstborn. Number three, Jesus is sustainer. When we talk about sustainer, he holds everything together. Now, I'm no, I'm no scientist by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm just going to try to explain to you the hours of research that I've done on this. And I, I still don't get it, to be honest with you. I really don't. But I know it's, it's there. Uh, verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, everything, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. When we talk about everything being held together, I, I kind of alluded to this last week a little bit, but if you've ever done some kind of science work in school, you'll, you might have learned about the atom, how the atom is made up of protons, neutrons, electrons, and gluons. And uh, this is a word that they made up because you know, they really don't know what it is. They've been studying it and trying to figure out how to take it apart. You know, in, in essence, the, the, the proton, the, this nucleus, this, the, what's inside of the, the atom, they're, they're electrical charges. They're, they're very small. Everything in this planet, everything in this whole universe are created, are made. Anything with mass is made with an atom. And, and, and these atoms are so small and they're electrically charged and they, they have this charge in them that they are positive charged. And, you know, when you put two positives together, you get two magnets and you put the positives or the, neg- you know, the negative together. What they do is they, they repel each other. And, and these atoms are so small and so fast moving and they're just kind of moving around and, you know, they create things. And, and, you really, and the one thing that has puzzled scientists for years, and they're still trying to figure this out, how do they stay together? How is it that it's, it's and so they, they come up with this term called gluons. You know, they're, they glue the magnets together. They, they, they just put it together. And, and so, now, if you want to do some research on this, please, please do so and send it to me because I really want to know how they figured all this out or are they trying to figure out. They can tell you, scientists can tell you why things happen or how things happen, but they can't tell you why. They can't tell you why God holds it all together. Why, is he, why did he even create it in the first place? And even back then in the first century, when Paul is talking about these, everything being held together, he had no clue as to how these atoms work. And one day, one day what's going to happen is everything is just going to fall apart. In Ephesians 1.21, read this with me. It says, and above, for above, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only is this age, but also in the one to come, that God created everything. Jesus Christ did. Philippians 2.10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee, every tongue, every person is going to bow. And one day, Peter tells us, one day, the, everything is just going to fall apart. These gluons that hold these atoms together are just going to disperse. And there's going to be this noise, this loud rushing sound, this, this explosion, I guess you would say. Because once, when that happens, Jesus Christ is just going to say, okay, let it go. And all these atoms, everything else that we know, everything that we know in creation will explode. Now, I, I know that there are a lot of people that are, you know, uh, environmentalists, and which is good. We should protect our environment. But there are a lot of things on this planet that, that are, the resources are depleting. And we need to hold on to a lot of things. And, and uh and we also need to be careful how we use a lot of our resources and uh, recycle. There's, there's just a whole lot that we are very, uh, what's the word, negligent on, irresponsible uh, on this planet. And there are a lot of things that are going on in this planet. Yes, I understand that. But you can't destroy this planet. I don't care how many cows are out there burping and whatever else they're doing. You can't destroy this planet. This planet, we've, we already know it's going to be destroyed this planet eventually is going to just, Jesus Christ is just, he's holding everything together. He holds it together. One day he's just going to let it go. We know this. And we've been told all these years that we've got to protect the environment because it's, we're going to put a hole in the ozone. We're going to do, well, we already know that. We know that the, the skies, the heavens are going to be rolled back like a scroll. What that's going to look like, I have no idea. We know that everything is going to be burnt up. We know that. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's what the, the book of Revelation tells us, Ezekiel tells us. This is what Daniel is talking about, that all these things are just going to be you know, exposed. Jesus Christ is just going to say, let it go. But not until he says so. Not because you use straws in your sodas. Okay? Not because we throw plastic in the environment. And please, don't do that. Recycle. Take care of things. You know, do what you have to do. And it will happen but not the way most people think. You see, Hebrews also tells us he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. 
and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He just holds it, everything, the whole universe. You look at these stars and planets, and I mean, you just see how infinitely insignificant we are. Hubble spacecraft, uh, the, the telescope that's up in space, uh, one day they just said, well, let's do this. Let's, let's point the Hubble space uh, telescope toward a very dark spot in the universe. I mean, this is just a little spot compared to everything. So they pointed it at the spot, and they left it there for weeks or months. I don't know how long they left it there. But when they got the pictures back, they noticed that the darkest spot in the universe, as they focused on it and they brought the images back, they were able to see other universes. Huge universes, lots of them, stars and uh, you know, galaxies, solar systems. In this spot that where before, you know, Hubble would just look at it and say, oh, it's dark, it's dark matter. God is so infinitely huge. And here we are. He created us. Now, if you are with, you know, the thought of aliens and all that other stuff, you probably are getting a lot of this from Gnostic thinking. Because Gnostic thinking is saying, oh, yeah, there's, there's these emanations. As a matter of fact, again, going back to some of the people that read the Bible and try to uh, bring in outside sources, they say, you know, if you're really, really good, you can become your own God, and you can become the creator of your own planet. You, are, you will be God. And when you're God and you have all your family with you, make sure you get a lot of kids and a lot of, you know, a lot of wives and everything else, because when you become very good and you die, you'll be given your own planet, just like Jehovah God was given his own planet. And there's a bunch of them out there. Because that's what God wants. Well, that's what, whatever, it can be Jehovah God. Because if he's just one of these emanations, then apparently, according to this thinking, there must be something else that's out there that's creating all these things. Now, can I be 100% certain on that? I just know what the Bible teaches me. And the Bible doesn't teach about other planets. Is there? You know, if I need to know, God will tell me. What I need to know is my salvation, your salvation, the direction of the church. What I need to know is uh, the, the honoring of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin that Christ gives, what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I need to know that. There is so much more. Deuteronomy tells us the things that belong to God, are, they belong to Him. And the things that He wants us to know, He'll show them to us. That's God's Fifth Amendment. Hey, I take the Fifth. You don't need to know that stuff. So I ain't telling you. Number four, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Paul concludes with this, Colossians 1.18, and, he's, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. He might be preeminent. Jesus Christ is supreme and He is sufficient. When I mean supreme, He is above everything. He is number one, prototokos, the most significant person in the universe. And not only is He supreme, but we call this book of Colossians, Jesus Christ is sufficient. This is all we need. He's sufficient because He's the head of the church. In our membership class, you'll learn about the church. You'll learn about the body members and you'll learn about how we are uh, not governed or not motivated or, or told what to do but from any denomination, we have Jesus Christ as the head of our church, and He is the one that dictates to us through His Word on what we need to do. We're not waiting for outside revelation. We're not waiting for a word from, from outer space or a dream or a vision. We go to His Word. What does His Word say? This is what we need to do. We need to hold God in, in a very high position. We have a high view of God. We, we need to know that man is, uh, you know, where we are and where we stand, what the Bible teaches is about man. We need to know about the, the church. Uh, we need to know about salvation. Those are the things that we teach because that's what the Bible teaches. But he is the head. In Philippians 2, 8, 9, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Everything, every demonic spirit, every evil spirit, every person, saved or unsaved, they're going to they're gonna bow down and say, yeah, okay, I get it now. He's Lord. Yeah, but it's too late now. Just because they call Jesus Christ Lord, the demons, they're, they're not saved. One of the stories that I use quite often is when Jesus came across the other side of the lake and he came and saw this man that was demon-possessed. 
Jesus saw this man, this man saw Jesus, and he ran toward Jesus and he fell on his face as to worship. And he called Jesus Christ, what have you to do with us, son of the most high God? Recognized him, had his theology right, worshiped him. You know, and, and he understood, and he even understood the end time, had his eschatology right. What have you to do with us before the appointed time? He knew that there was an appointed time. And, and, and even though he knows that he knows that he knows who Jesus Christ is, and he bowed down before him, and in essence says, you are Lord, because I know the power you have. As a matter of fact, I understand your power. If the power that you have cast us into this herd of swine. And, they did, and he did. And there are a lot of people that you know that have an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. They know that, yeah, well, he's the Son of God. I've heard that. Yeah, he was born on Christmas Day. I, yeah, I know he died on the cross. We, we celebrated on Easter. And he, he was buried and resurrected. And, and, and we know that, yeah, the world's going to end. I, we understand that. You know? But, you know, cast me out somewhere else. You know, I, I want to go, go somewhere else. I don't want to be in this evil body anymore. You know, just take away my, my sin, take away my, my guilt, take away my shame, take away all this stuff that is just bogging me down. Yeah, but, 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 you know, I, I don't want to do what you say. I don't want to submit to Jesus Christ. I don't want to surrender. Why? I'm having such a good time. Just take away all the bad stuff. Take that away, and I'll come back later when I get some more bad stuff, so you can take that away too. You see, a lot of people have this faith like demons, and I call it demon faith. They know who God is. They know who Jesus Christ is. They know what he's done. They know his power. They know what's going to happen. All of this. But for them, you know, just, just take that stuff away. I want, I want the stuff that God has to offer, but I don't want God telling me what to do. You see, genuine repentance recognizes that Jesus Christ is, number one, creator. He's God. He's sustainer. He's, he's the head of the church. And, and we recognize that he is God, he's creator, sustainer, the head of the church. And we, because he's the head as a church body, we submit to him. When Paul is dealing with the people there in Colossus, he's sharing with them, look, this is some very, it's technical stuff, but it's very simple. If you just have the faith to recognize that Jesus Christ is God. And if you're going to follow all these other philosophies, that has not, have nothing to do with God, who He is, and Jesus Christ, then, yeah, you're, God's going to blind your eyes as well. Go ahead. He's going to let you do what you want to do. He's not going to force you. <coughs> but he has, he has looked at you. He's looked at every one of you, and He says, you know what? I, I, I want that person. I want to show my glory through this person. I want to give them mercy so that they, in turn, can show that to other people because I want to give them mercy as well. He wants to use you to be able to show his glory because it's all about him. It's not about us. Recognize that God wants his people to get saved, not so that we can feel good or be safe, but so that we can bring glory to God. It's all about him. Well, that's kind of selfish, isn't it, Pastor Sal? Well, he is God, <laughs> right? I mean, he can do whatever he wants. And if that's what he wants to do, then I'm in. I have no problem with that. As a matter of fact, my previous life was a wreck. You know, it still follows me around. You know, I mean, and it's still trying to pull me back. And, you know, it's just, I don't want a part of that anymore. I want to stay right here with you guys. Let me ask you to stand. I'm willing to invest the rest of my life to serve Jesus Christ and serve you as a church if you're willing to do the same. You know, some of you, uh, okay, please don't get me wrong. I'm not pointing out to anybody here. Some will come, get the blessings, and go. That's okay. That's all right. And, and a lot of people have come through here, and, and they've gone, and they've made, you know, the churches their home because they moved out of, out of this area. We were talking this last week with somebody that, you know, here a while back, five families left, you know, and one of them had at least 20 people in it, you know. And then the others that were very committed. And, and so, but, you know, they all left and people moved on. And, you know, and some people have just come and just to check it out and see what's going on. And, and that's okay, too, because God's going to bring the people that need to be here. And as long as, like I said earlier, and I was, I was kind of joking at the same time, but, but seriously, as long as you keep coming, I'll keep preaching. Okay? 
The day that nobody shows up, I'll say, okay, Lord, I guess I'm done. <laughs> I did my job. You know, or the day I don't show up for whatever reason. But I, I, I have no plans of going anywhere unless the Lord takes me home. You know, one day I'm not gonna I'm gonna be getting up here and mumbling and bumbling all through my words. You're gonna say, okay, Pastor, I think you're done. No, you need to sit down. Let's put somebody else up there. Okay, let's do that. But until then, <laughs> I'm gonna commit my life to serving Christ and serving you. And 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 if you're with me, I, thank you. Let's let's go forward. Mm-hmm. Because if if you look around, you know, we've we've grown a little. I mean, just just looking around, we've grown a little. And uh, we, we have people here that, that I appreciate your service and, and willing to come back. And, and it's not an easy truth, but it's the truth. And, uh, you know, it is a challenge because, you know, we're just giving you God's word. you got to be different. And we're here to help you do that. Amen? Amen? Father, thank you once again for the love that you give us in spite of ourselves. We look at our own record. We look at our own lives. We look back at who we used to be and, and how you even thought of even looking at a person like me. And, Father, I just thank you and I praise you for that. And I, I want to give whatever I can back to you. If it's the rest of my life, then it's the rest of my life. As far as it goes, Lord, it's to worship you and to love you and to bring glory and honor to you. Father, take anything away from me, my sin, my attitude, my whatever it is that does not bring you honor and glory. Take that away so that, so that people can see your grace in my life. Not because of who I am, not so that I can stand out, but so that you could stand out and people are drawn to you. Thank you, Father for this powerful lesson of the people in Colossus and how it has been transformed and changed us to, to want to go in, in, in the right direction and to hear even more so of, uh, of how these different doctrines and teachings come into the church. Lord, we want to just stick to the basics. You are God, Jesus Christ. You created us. You are creator. You're sustainer. You're holding everything together. We may not understand it all. Like scientists, they don't understand it all. But they're grappling and they're striving to see how does this all come together. And I thank you, Lord, for those scientists that have committed their life to you and serving and seeing, realizing that there's got to be a God or somebody that is out there holding things together because it just doesn't make any sense. And so, Lord, thank you for that. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you today. As we go our separate ways, I pray that you dismiss us from this place, but never from your presence as we love and worship you in all things, we pray. In Jesus' name, and we all say... Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. All right. Stick around for a moment.